hey friends, welcome to episode 30 of Rolling With The Punches, a very special episode, part two of our My Way, the Alan Kowicki story. Very, very wonderful interview with Tom Roberts. Dad, I'm excited about this episode because not only do we get an opportunity to share the second half of Tom's interview, but I'm going to get an opportunity to pick your brain a little bit on Alan Kulik's <laughs> career and the uh, experiences that you had with the people's champion, as they say. So I do want to pick up where we left off, which was TR and Alan. TR's telling the story about the media day right before the championship race. And he's dragging Alan around, going to all these different media yeah. events. And they get to the end of the night and Alan has said very little to TR all day long typical Alan fashion and they get to the very end of the night and Alan peeks his head back in the limo before he leaves and he says my way and it has to be Sinatra and of course he's referencing the earlier question that TR presented about if you are to become the champion what do you want to be your theme song so we had that very important stipulation and you'll hear in part two TR mentions that he didn't know that that was going to be such a big deal at the time to not want Elvis's yeah. version, yeah. you know, to, yeah. or the original version. He wanted Frank Sinatra. So dad, I'm really excited to ask you because you were working behind the scenes and, and really in front of the scenes, you hosted that awards banquet at the Waldorf in New York that year. Tell me about this. What had to go into truly getting my way in the way Alan Kulwicki wanted it? Well, you know, after, after he told TR, my way, and it's got to be Sinatra, as typically the cerebral Alan Kowicki would say. Um, so, so then TR tells Sweet Jenny Nickel, who was uh, another producer that worked uh, for us and uh, at, at ESPN, but she also worked primarily for Lehner Group Productions. And Terry Lingner, who produced the awards shows, is phenomenal, probably the godfather of NASCAR on ESPN. But that's a whole different segment sometime. Uh, anyway, he tells Jenny Nickel, "Okay, here's the theme song. If Alan wins it, he wants Sinatra, My Way." And so Jenny calls Terry Lingner, who gets on the phone uh, with the folks who have to give you the rights to use a song when you use it in, you know, on television. And the word came back, okay, here's the deal. The Frank Sinatra version of My Way can be used once. And to use it once, not in rehearsal, not in the post or pre, but once during the live telecast of ESPN from the Waldorf, the Grand Ballroom of the Waldorf Astoria, uh, and it will be ten thousand dollars to use it, ten grand to once, play it one once, time. One time, and Terry Lingner gulped and uh, picked up the phone and he called T. Wayne Robertson, who was the executive with R.J. Reynolds Tobacco, who was putting the bill for the Winston Cup Awards ceremony, and he simply told uh, uh, T. Wayne, who's phenomenal, by the way, should be in the Hall of Fame someday, but that's another that's another episode. He said, T. Wayne, it's ten grand to play the song Alan Kowicki wants. And T. Wayne said, if that's what he wants, we're going to pay it and you play it because he did it his way and he deserves it. If he wins it, he deserves it. So we're going to pay it and you play it. And so that's what happened. Ten grand to play my way once. That's why when you go pull up the banquet, that segment where Alan first comes out and is standing on the stage and everyone rises to stand up, that's not in the, that's not in the, in the YouTube version because you couldn't, they couldn't allow that to be played again without paying the rights fees. But uh, that's what Alan wants, wanted, and that's what he got. And certainly, considering how the season unfolded, as, as TR said, you're down 270-some points with six races to go, and he somehow got it done. Yeah, he was deserving of, of his wishes being played. 
I love that story so much. It gives me chills every time thinking about everyone bending over backwards, quite frankly, scrambling behind the scenes just because they knew how much that meant to him. And he wouldn't have asked for it. Knowing Alan would not have asked for it if it didn't mean that much to him. And like you said, he obviously earned it. And it's really neat in this part two, you're going to be able to hear TR elaborate a little more on the song My Way and how much you guys didn't even know at the time what that would mean right. in the entire legacy of Alan's career. And, and TR reflects on the few other times moving forward that he was able to experience a moment like that, listening to that song in Alan's honor. And it really just, it just gives me chills even thinking about it. Um, but dad, you know, one of the other best parts, in my opinion, of that part one of the interview was TR talking about meeting Alan for the first time and getting to know him and, and trying to develop this relationship with him and what that wasn't always the easiest thing to do but dad you had a very interesting relationship with him as well because you guys much like tr and alan did you bonded over similarities maybe your education or, or your, your similar interests yeah. and things yeah. uh talk to me a little bit about that relationship that you developed with alan and what he was like from your point of view you know, after he won the awards, uh, won, the, won, the, won the championship, and there was some, some downtime weeks, and Alan never, as you heard TR say, never took time. He was either in the car, uh, on the car, or under the car working on it. But we became friends. Alan and I became, uh, became friends because, uh, you know, uh, I guess maybe we hit it off right away because maybe of our education level. Not that there weren't very smart people in NASCAR and some incredibly talented, you know, drivers who had great street smarts and, and lots of common sense that some people who are educated don't have. But, but we hit it off right away. I remember Alan asking me when I first came to, to meet him one time doing an interview, I said, what's a doctor doing, you know, running around pit road, calling pit stops <laughs> at all these, uh, these dang racetracks? And I said, um, I said, Alan, I do it because I love it. I love being here. And I looked him back. I said, hey, what's an educated, highly, intel highly intelligent engineer doing working on race cars? And getting all dirty and grimy and then for a living and then getting in these cars and driving them and beating and banging he laughed and said doc i do it because i love it and uh you know uh, uh and i remember after he won the championship uh, although he had lots of friends he didn't let a lot of people get close to him very few people really knew who he was away from the track or away from his race shop but he invited me to his house uh just to hang out one night and chat and it was and i felt like that was sort of like a a sign of respect from him that to, 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 he respected me and he trusted me enough to come there. And I uh, wasn't ever going to tell people what his house was like or how he lived. Cause he was different as, as TR said, he was a different, different guy. And uh, so I remember I walked in the front door and the house was immaculate, absolutely immaculate. The foyer had these pedestals with carved sculptures sitting on them with light spotlights shining on these sculptures. There was a couple of abstract paintings on the wall that was smooth jazz playing. Um, and we sat down to chat and he offered me a glass of wine. And, and, uh, and he said, Doc, he said, um, what do you think? And I looked around and I said, this is really nice, Alan. But I said, I can tell you, I can honestly tell you, I've been to a lot of Winston Cup drivers' homes over the years. And we've, uh, we'll sit out and have a beer on the back porch or a beer on a boat dock with some country music playing and I walk in the foyer and I've seen deer heads and moose and an occasional elks hanging on the wall uh, but nothing like that. I said what is this stuff he said doc this is called art this is art and I said well I've been to a lot of drivers house but I've never seen art before and I said so we laughed and but that's how he was he was just unique he was different not country music smooth jazz not a beer on the boat doc but a nice glass of wine uh, and the house was, you could eat off the floor, it was immaculate. 
he was all about the details. So, yeah, I, I, I can remember yesterday, like it was yesterday, going to visit with him at his home. That's really crazy to think about art. It, it makes sense when you hear of the way that TR describes Alan and his intricacies and his what he, you know, he, TR talks about how he used to listen to smooth jazz in the limo when they're driving yeah, around yeah. doing doing the PR and the press that they were doing for the championship, which is just, it's so funny to me. So hearing that story, you know, you go, wow, really? But then you go, oh, okay, I guess it makes sense when you truly get to learn more about Allen. And, and quite honestly, Jess, if you go back to that championship he won in Atlanta, that last race, it was about the details. If it wasn't for his attention to details, he would not have won the title that day. Well, and you talked about being able to cultivate a relationship with him and you said you felt like it was almost a, a sign of approval or a sign of respect that he invited you into his life. But when you think about it, Dad, you were in victory lane with him after his very first win at Phoenix, very first cup win at Phoenix. And then you were in victory lane with him after he won that 1992 championship. And I won't get into the first win because TR is going to do that in this next part. We can chat about that later. But that championship win, wow. being wow. in victory lane, I mean – Take me back there. What what was the feel of being in, in victory lane at that moment? You have to go back and remember now, as, as TR told us, that with six races to go, they were 270-plus points behind. And now they're going to – and they get to Phoenix, and he finishes fourth. And remember, TR talking about how, how angry Allen is that he that he left something on the, on the table. He didn't – he should have finished better than that. So they said they got to get it done at Atlanta. So think about this. One of the reasons that Chase came into existence, or now what we call the playoffs, is because they didn't want one or two drivers battling, you know, in the last race. They wanted a bunch of drivers. Well, back in 1992, in November of 1992, there were still six drivers mathematically eligible – to win the championship that day. And that along with Alan Kowicki, there was Bill Elliott, Davey Allison, Kyle Petty, Harry Gant, and Mark Martin. Any of those drivers, and it would have taken some things, could have won the title. But with regard to Alan Kowicki and Bill Elliott, the driver who was going to lead the most laps was probably going to win the championship. And remember, if Bill Elliott wins, leads the most laps and he end up in a tie, the tiebreaker is a number of wins on the year. Elliott had five wins. Kawicki had two. So Kawicki had to lead the most laps. Now let's go back to the late part of the race. Crew chief Paul Andrews, remember, there's no digital scoring back then. There's no monitor on pit right. road, none of this high-tech stuff they have today. It tells you who's fast in what corner and how many laps you've led. None of that. It was all done with pencil and paper. So Paul Andrews, sitting on the pit box, says to me, you know, how many laps have we led? You know, we've got to try to figure out, and they're figuring out with pencil and paper, he and Tony Gibson and, you know, all the guys there, you know, as to, you know, and I'm, and I said, well, let me, I'll ask, and I ask our pit producer, Pam Miller, who she's trying to calculate, she radios up to the, up to the booth and they, and Bill Sloboda and Ken Martin, who works with NASCAR, they're up there hand calculating. And so in the meanwhile, while all this calculation is going on, I mean, every lap, you know, Paul Andrews is asking me, but they're also hearing from, you know, hearing from the engine builder, you know, Danny Glad and from Tony Gibson and the crew, Hey, we're almost out of gas. We got a pit, you know, but they don't want to call Alan in until he's led enough laps and they tell Alan we're, we're close on fuel. So Alan's backing, down, backing out of the throttle and gets to the start-finish line and just hits the throttle enough to stay a fender or maybe a bumper in front of Bill Elliott to lead that lap. Benny Parsons in the booth going nuts. Look at that. He, he just nipped him, by, but he had to lead that lap. He did that two or three times and led by inches to get those laps. Well, finally, you know, Kenny Martin, Bill Sloboda, and the guys in the booth tell Pam Miller, we think with this lap he'll have enough. We so think. They, they, we think they tell me it's only a NASCAR. It's a million dollar NASCAR. Yeah, championship. And so, that's all. And so, so, so Paul Andrews 
leans in and says, what do you think? I said, they told us if he leads this lap, he should be good. He said, are you sure? I said, no, we're not sure at all. <laughs> and the color drained out of Paul Andrews' face. And I said, hey, Paul, if you, if you want to be sure, maybe lead one or two more laps. He said, we can't. We're going to run out of gas. So he calls him in. And I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, if we cost this kid this incredible story, a, a, a NASCAR championship. As it turns out he pits, he comes down pit road, and, and, and Alan Kowicki led 103 laps that day. Bill Elliott led 102. And so by one lap, Alan Kowicki led the most laps, got the tiebreaker, and became the 1992 NASCAR Cup Series champion. And wow. seven years, the guy driving the underdog, the ultimate underdog in the Underbird. And I told people the story, you know, seven years ago, this kid, you know, this, this kid comes, comes south from, from Milwaukee with a borrowed pickup truck and a pocket full of dreams. And he pulled it off. Um, and it's just amazing. And I remember when he came to the start finish line to stop and I'm standing there and everyone's jumping up and down screaming. He's in the car. They had welded a little box beside his seat. He opens up the box. There's a hat in there for his sponsor, Hooters. And it's also a comb. So he took his helmet on. He could comb his hair. He's sitting there calmly combing his hair. You got to be, be freaking kidding me. The guy just won, pulled off one of the biggest upsets in, in Major League Sports history, beating Bill Elliott and Harry Gant and Kyle Petty and Davey Allison. And he's going to comb his hair. And he's going to get out and jump around like a wild man. So what a day. What a day. Um, and, uh, and think about that, a pit producer. Now, we weren't trying to play favorites, but back then there were no monitors. And so he's asking us, and we want to know too. We're trying to know too for a television audience at home. Sure. They weren't. Bob Jenkins and Benny Parsons are thinking, so we're calculating it. And, 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 they, and, and so then as Paul Andrews is asking me and Pam Miller, the, who's the conduit, she's the pit producer in a truck, she, we said we think when I told him, I, we're not sure if you lead a couple more, so we can't. So, I mean, literally, they called him in, and he came down. He was on fumes, so he came down pit road, and he ends up winning the championship. So, uh, yeah, what a day. What a day. And as we know, that was one of the most special days in NASCAR history for him to win that championship. That's one of my favorite stories, especially to hear from Ken Martin, who you mentioned works at NASCAR. Ken Martin is NASCAR. He is one of the most oh. brilliant NASCAR historians, which I would love to get him on the show sometime. We'll have to reach out to him. But that's one of the best stories to hear Ken tell as well, because you talk about him being up in the booth, literally counting, tallying out the numbers. And Ken's always like, that's some of the most, if not the most important math I've ever had to do yeah. in my entire life, because he knew, like you said, what was on the line. And um especially now, you know, being able to hear the end of part one where TR leaves off and, and Alan choosing his song and, and, and relaying that to TR. And then in this beginning of part two, you'll hear TR talk about celebrating that 1992 championship. And he just remembers it so vividly. And knowing all of the inside now, it really just makes that story and makes being able to hear it from TR's perspective even more special. Well, and I, and I love the fact in the interview you did with Tom Roberts, and we can't thank Tom enough for opening his heart and his soul and telling us things he hadn't told people. But in this second and final part of, of uh, the Alan Kowicki story with Tom Roberts, he shares with us some special advice that, that Alan got off the racetrack that might have contributed to that, to that Polish victory lap on that first win. And a lot of the things that Alan did was from a piece of advice that, that he got and, and, and his involvement. Uh, and, and TR's involvement, where he was, you know, when, when they won and, and what all happened. So there's so much more to the story now 
Um, and, uh, and you will hear or maybe see Tom Roberts get a little emotional because it's hard for me not to be emotional when I think about uh, Alan's story. Yeah, Tom really opened up in this part too, and I'm excited for our listeners to finally hear it. So with that, everything that we just mentioned awaits you in part two. Here it is, part two of My Way, the Alan Kulwicki story with Tom Roberts. The door opens, Alan gets out, sticks his head back in, and he said, my way. And I said, what? He says, you asked me about theme songs. I said, that, that registered exactly what he's talking about. So it's my way. I said, that's great. Comes, turns back around, he says, and it has to be Sinatra. <laughs> so I got my answer, you know, I sure did. And that was just, that was the way that, you know, communication sometimes, and that, that was, that was typical Island fashion. So after what happens and we win the championship and everything, Jenny, I got an answer for you. Alan wants my way. Oh, that's great. So wait just a minute. And it has to be Sinatra. So <laughs> she says, okay, you know, let me try to run it down. Good news, bad news. Got my way. I said, oh, awesome. But it's Elvis's version. I said, I didn't even know Elvis did my way. You don't understand. <laughs> He's going to go ballistic. He said it has to be Sinatra. So it, it got, I think what the deal was, was to get a Sinatra version to use, it was going to be ungodly. You know, like amount of money that they were going to have to pay rights fees to do it. So right. I, never, I never knew until I got to New York. I think I ran into to Ken and Jenny both, and they gave me the best news that I had ever heard, that they had my way, and that it was Sinatra. You know, Jesse, I think back about that song and the way it was presented and the piece that Ken and Jenny and all those Langner productions put together, it was, it was, Alan always, <clears throat> he quoted Humpy Wheeler, that when Humpy first met Alan, Alan, Humpy's advice to Alan was be spectacular. You know, that was it, was be, so that became our little deal of be spectacular. Whatever you do, you know, be spectacular. So that was, uh, such a, a great piece that was that was put together by them, and you know, in retrospect, when you think about it, it, it was used in so many different ways. It was used to celebrate him as a champion, and then it was used to uh, well, they indicate uh, the little guy you know, achieving, and at the end, it was used at his, at his funeral to remember him as, as the champion. So I have a lot, of, <clears throat> a lot of fond memories of that particular instance and that piece that they put together, and it will always be near and dear to my heart. My dad emceed that, that banquet at the Waldorf Astoria in, in New York City, and he 
remembers that so vividly. He loves to tell that story because it meant so much to them to do this in the way that Alan wanted it. And they weren't going to do it, Elvis, if that is not what Alan wanted. It had to be Sinatra. And, you know, I know looking back on it, like you said, for you and for dad and for Mr. Linger, for Mr. Ken Martin, everybody that was involved in that, they are very, very blessed and very happy that it all worked out the way that it did because it needed to be in the celebration of Alan. And I'm so glad, like you said, looking back at to the number of ways that song has been used to commemorate Alan and his career, I'm glad they were able to make it work because Alan sure as hell worked hard enough to make it work for himself. So if that's what they needed to do at the banquet to make it work for him, then that's what they needed to do. You know, I remember your dad and I remember the, the party and everything that we had. <clears throat> but Alan's preparation, uh, and it, to me it turned into one of the best speeches <clears throat> that I've ever seen. But his preparation <clears throat> came on a Thursday night with Ty Norris, myself, and Alan with an index card, just doing bullet points. <clears throat> and that's how he did his, that's how he did his, uh, his speech. There was nothing that was practiced or rehearsed. Wow. It all came from the top of his head with just using bullet points. That's incredible. And because we remember that speech. I mean, it's like you said that because I think the reason too, that that was such that speech meant so much to, to everybody listening to it because of what we've talked about is the kind of person that Alan was, you know, he, he was more introverted unless you were part of the Kowikiites, if you will. And he was, you know, such a, a different minded kind of driver and he didn't do the same press and the same outgoing things that other drivers did. So for him to get up on stage and give that speech, it gave the NASCAR community true insight into Alan as a person and knowing that that all of that was truly just Alan. There was nothing written out for him. He wrote bullet points and went with it. It, it makes that even more special to go back and listen to that speech and know that this is the most pure, true glimpse of Alan Kulwicki in that moment. True, and <clears throat> little things like uh, his attachment to uh, Mighty Mouse. Of course. Yeah, it on his uniform, <clears throat> and us having a little, the lapin, the Mighty Mouse lapin, lapel pins that night. Uh, a lot of people just didn't understand what the the background was, and you know, for us to be able to to take that, all the different aspects of what Alan's remembered for, and apply it to today's KDDP has been quite remarkable. I don't know whether I'm getting <clears throat> whether I'm getting horse or I'm getting Terry eyed in horse. Just thinking back about all these wonderful memories, but certainly is uh, again, it just makes me think about how blessed that I have been <clears throat> to be a part of it all. 
Well, TR, let me tell you, you talk about Mighty Mouse. Well, it's because of you, I actually have a, a very small Mighty Mouse pin in honor of the Alan Kulicki Driver Development Program sitting on my desk in the NASCAR Tower over there across the street. So I, I think about you and I think about Alan and I think about all of the young drivers that have the opportunity because of you and Alan to further their careers. And I want to get into uh, the Kulicki Driver Development Program because that absolutely it needs an entire spotlight of its own. But before I move on to that, I have two more quick questions about your your history and your relationship and, and your career with Alan. One from me and one from my dad because he, he couldn't be here on this interview. But first from me, I want to talk about the very first Polish victory lap because <laughs> it was obviously the first and definitely not the last. As you mentioned, there are still young drivers today that are honoring Alan by doing so when they win. But that 1988 Checker 500 at Phoenix, Alan celebrating his very first Cup Series win, did you know this was going to happen? Did you know he was going to do this? And, and what was going through your mind when you saw him celebrate in this unique, but so mm. true to Alan way? I think that, that it's all in tune to uh, what Humpy Wheeler has be, be spectacular message. Cause yes, Alan and I had discussed, we felt like that, you know, his first win was around the corner. And this is probably the spring of 88. So what are you going to do to, to celebrate, to be, be spectacular? And I think that his terminology was victory lap in reverse. <clears throat> <laughs> okay, a victory lap in reverse. What is this? What's so funny is that years after this, a potential misunderstanding led to an idea that another driver utilized. The potential misunderstanding was, does this mean that you're going to put your transmission in reverse and you're going to back all the way around the, the, the racetrack? But we never did. It was never discussed any more than like a reverse victory lap. So later... <laughs> I told that story to Kurt Busch, and I forget what year it was, but every every race that he won, he, he put it in reverse, and he backed all the way around. And I, I don't know whether I challenged him to do it or what, but it was funny when I thought back about where that came from, a reverse victory lap. But as far as Allen goes, you know, he only did that twice, and the, the first time he did it was at Phoenix for the – his first race win, where in addition to handling the PR <clears throat> for the Miller team at the time, I was also Alan Spotter. Uh, <clears throat> this was before it became really full blown. I think we were like on the cusp maybe of identifying a, a certain area that spotters could, could be at, but it never was, it wasn't to the point where they had their own platforms and, Sure. They got the visibility and everything that they do today. <clears throat> a lot of spotters just stood on the team trucks and transporters in the infield. <clears throat> so that day, the designated area was on the back row of the grandstand underneath the press box. So I went up there and I like, like I said, it, it was not unified. There wasn't a NASCAR official that 
did roll call or anything to see if everybody had a spotter. It was sort of loose-ended and <clears throat> volunteer type deal. So I go up there and 15 minutes before the race was to start. And when people stood up, you couldn't see anything. So this just is not going to work. <laughs> so I, I've always been a runner and it's really come into handy in many, you know, many situations. And that was certainly one of them. So I thought, this thing gonna work. How, where am I gonna go? What am I gonna do? So I was able to run halfway up the hill down and turn three and four before the green flag. I had my team radio, I had my scanner. So, you know, I'm up and running when the race gets going, we had problems, you know, we have problems there. But the, the biggest thing that I can remember during the race is that uh, Ricky Rudd was driving for Kenny Bernstein at the time. I'm not sure if Larry Mack was the crew chief over there or not at the time. And laps were winding down, and I'm telling Alan, I said, 26 going to blow up. I mean, he is the the – it's Peg, you know, he's already overheating. You can count on him to pull off any lap now. Well, sure enough, he pulls, has to pit, you know, has to call it a day because the, the engine's blowing, overheating. Allen goes on uncontested uh, pretty much to win the race, you know, take the checkered flag for the first time, and he's coming around, and I, I say – Alan, do your lap. And I really didn't know, you know. <laughs> what we was about to happen. <laughs> victory lap. But it was so cool. And, it, of course, his uh, his immediate thinking was, are they going to take the win away from me? That, you know, that was so unusual. How would NASCAR uh, look at that? Right. I honestly think that it caught them by surprise and they didn't really know how to, how to deal with it or accept it, but they loved what the TV commentators were saying about the lap and his celebration that, you know, they accepted it and they thought, you know, this is part, this is cool. This is part of history and this will be good for the sport, you know, and it was, and uh, I, again, I was able to run from the, t the middle of the hill all the way down to, to Victory Lane to get into Victory Lane when your dad started his, his interview, uh, winner's interview uh, with Alan. And I, so that's such a special memory, really is. And Man, did we have a party that night at the embassy suite. I can't imagine. <laughs> we did. But you know what I think is so neat about that story, and I didn't know this. I didn't know that you were spotting for Alan during that race. And, and I have to imagine that it was, it, was, it was Alan, you know? It was the relationship that you guys had, and it's what you talked about earlier, the ability to communicate without really even communicating. And you just – the relationship that you had was so special and so unique that – experience aside, I don't think anybody else could have done that job uh, and led him to the victory in the way that you did. And and also how neat that you were able to have 
maybe the best view in the house up there on the hill watching it from where you were. So um, that story to me, I, I love the insights that you've been able to give because it truly, it truly brings a whole nother level of appreciation to, to when I watch the, the videos of that Polish victory lap, you know, and, and I see the impact that that continues to make. It's, it's really neat. Certainly. Uh, history and, you know, very proud and blessed to have been part of it that day. I have one more question for you, and this question comes from Dad. Before we jump into the Kubicki Driver Development Program briefly, Dad, Dad asked me, and I said, Dad, I don't. I, I, I told him, I said, I think I know the answer to this, but I, I didn't know, Alan. You know, I got asked TR, and Dad said, you know, Alan obviously was so headstrong in doing things his way, if you will, and being his own everything. Uh, he relied on the team around him, but he knew that if he wanted something to be done the way he wanted it, he was going to go do it right. And he had the offers from teams to drive for them and he turned them down. He wanted to drive for himself. And my dad said, you know, you need to ask TR that if Alan were racing in, in today's world, do you think he would still be turning down those offers? You think he'd still be trying to do it my way? I've gotten asked that. Um, many, many times through the years. And I really think that he finally would have uh, succumbed to the pressure, so to speak, of, uh, of attempting <clears throat> to go out and race for somebody else. Be it uh, his buddy, uh, Felix Abadis. Uh, but I don't think that it would have been long lived. He had done what he had done for so long, and he never did have to really uh, work for somebody else or, you know, answer to somebody else. It was always, he was always the person that was in charge. And I'll finish this, and I'll tell you another instance, which it's really uh, mentally challenging for me to accept. And that... <clears throat> I think that he would have tried driving for somebody else. And I think that that wouldn't, it wouldn't work out. And he would have gone back to have running, try to reestablish what he had. And I don't know if that could have been done again, especially if that bunch of unique individuals had been dissolved. And then he was having to put the Kawikiites back together again. I also think about during that time span, you know, it was only a couple months later that we lost Davy Allison. And those two guys would have accounted for many more race wins. And, you know, no doubt. Davy never won a championship. Davy was, you know, I think that he was destined to win championships also. So, it, you know, it's a question that you can't answer. Uh, somebody else also posed, would, <clears throat> would he be uh, a car owner? You know, question. I could see him, but my, I guess my biggest question would be, who would he get to, who would, <laughs> who, would he, who would he deem sufficient enough to drive for him? And I laugh about that, but then I also think about some of the Midwestern guys that we've had through our program. And I, I know that the, I th think that our first champion, uh, 
Tom Jeske tie with the Midwestern background, being from Wisconsin, and also, you know, I, I'm not sure if Ty completed his, you know, he was going for a medical, mechanical engineering degree at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And I, I just think there would have been a connection there that that, that might have. You know, I don't know how successful it would have been. I don't know if they would have really gotten it in each other's, but it's a great question. And it certainly makes for, uh, for wonderful, you know, conversation. But what I was saying about a guy who's always in charge, always in control of, uh, of all of everything, you know, I, it was very hard for me to deal with what transpired with the, flank, with the plane crash, thinking about that was one exception where Alan never knew how to fly a plane. He never knew. And he was just, it was totally out of his control. But during his whole career, you know, the way that he lived and, uh, and performed from a day-to-day -day standpoint, he was always in control. Well, and, and TR, in an effort of, of not to get too emotional with you, I do know that um, obviously that is just an incredibly an emotional moment for for so many people in the NASCAR community to think back on on that incident. And um, you, for an effort of not being a conflict of interest between your your job and your drivers, that is the only reason you were not on that plane. And I mean. I, me, I'm blessed today to know you and to, and to, I'm thankful for that. And I just can't imagine what that's like for you to have to reflect on that moment and losing a friend. Um, but it's because of that and in the admiration and appreciation and love and, and, and emotion that you still have towards Alan, that you're able to put all of that into developing young drivers and young talent and i'm incredibly blessed that these young drivers today are able to like ty majeski with the mechanical engineering background and, and winning races like the snowball derby he's able to channel alan kowicki as he grows and develops in his career and know the career that alan had and the impact that he had on the sport through this kowicki driver development program so the tragedy that ensues there are a lot of young drivers that are very thankful for the way that you have managed to uh, continue on and channel that emotion into them. Well, it's, you know, it's been uh, a blessing and a true labor of love for me. Uh, this time of my career, you know, doing all of the cup racing and everything, <clears throat> I had worked with, <clears throat> with Kurt <clears throat> since the 2006 season, which I, a lot of people misunderstood Kurt. And I understood to a certain degree of his dedication and his determination. And, but, you know, the fact that he never could get a grip on his anger, I had a problem with off the off the track we were best buds as far as going to sporting events he loved all kinds we went to wrigley I, we did everything you could possibly do at a cubs game as far as 
David climbed up the back of the scoreboard. You can see <laughs> but he never could really, during my tenure working with him for those six years, never could really get a good grip on his anger. And it really, I think all of that was, was very much displayed. And now the history, when you look back on it, when he blew up at Homestead <laughs> to your dad, when your dad was trying to interview him. And mm -hmm. back on that and you know your dad and I always had just a, a special relationship and that not just from a, a professional standpoint of you know in the racing business but also on a personal level that your dad always understood maybe if there were backstories and could see so after Kurt explodes in Homestead, and I it, it, I took it bad because I I'm trying to do everything that I could, yet it, it still exploded in my face. I could almost sense that that was like the beginning of the end of my career out on the Cup beat, and I wasn't ready to get off the, the, the cup tour yet. Penske and Kirk part ways. And then I come back the next year and we have AJ and AJ and I hit it off. You know, I had no idea he's called to have the drug test at Kentucky and he winds up finding a little bit of Adderall in his mm -hmm. system. And that's when I found out that, that, that Penske had already done a deal for the following year with, with Logano, with Joey. I'm given the opportunity to uh, apply for that job or if I wanted to continue in some capacity with, uh, with Penske. Well, what was so cool was the fact that uh, I had built up such a great relationship with everybody at Penske Racing and particularly with uh, with RP, with Roger, with Walt Zarnicky, not just, again, business relationships, but close personal friends. I always value the friendship. I got a great severance deal. And then in addition to that, uh, I didn't have to work. Penske paid me, Roger and Walt and them paid me. I didn't have to work for two years. Wow. Which just so happened to coincide with before my wife found out the bad news of being diagnosed with cancer. Right. So th that allowed us to have probably, well, without a doubt, it was the best two years that we've had traveling everywhere. You know, she was still working, holding down a full-time job, working for the state health department. But we got to do so many things that we had not been able to do through the years. Uh, I was a, a season ticket holder for Alabama football ever since I graduated. But due to the racing conflict, <laughs> I could go to very, I could attend very few games because I was off at races, which that's another thing with Kurt. Kurt knew how much I liked Alabama football. So when we were racing at Talladega, he would spring for a chopper and we would fly down after practice in Talladega to catch the game and come back. That's 
so many little, little things like that that meant the world to me. But the timing with uh, being able to do that and getting to go to all of, we went, we traveled to games everywhere. And then she, <clears throat> when she got diagnosed, it was just a few months <clears throat> before that, we had started our, uh, our first 2015 campaign and how that all came around in the summer of 2014, I'm contacted by Jan Beatty, who was one of our board members. She, uh, Mark Horn, they were involved in, with Thelma Quickie and the Quickie estate. And they had been meeting and tossing ideas with Thelma around about what else they could do uh, relative to keeping Alan's memory alive and his legacy going. They come up with an idea of about giving back to grassroots racers. So I'm offered the opportunity to do that after meeting with them and a couple of trips to Charlotte. And what was so cool is that they pretty much just gave me a blank sheet of canvas for me to draw the program. <clears throat> and during my many walks out on the trail here in Guntersville, Alabama is where I developed everything off of the number seven, seven months of competition, seven drivers, $7,777. Well, knowing, <laughs> knowing our Allen would operate, the natural uh, extension of what would be the grand prize. Most people would say, well, you want, you're going to give them $77,777. I said, that's not the way Alan would operate. Alan was always <laughs> looking at some way that he could cut corners and save money. So I'm thinking I'm going to do this the Allen way. And instead of it being 77, seven, 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 we're just going to multiply the seven, 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 seven by seven. So that's how it comes up with 54,000. And we saved, that was the Allen way. So it's kind of cool also is to formulating, um, what all the competition would be, um, point systems and the like. Jeff and I, uh, I had never been to Oktoberfest race weekend in lacrosse, and it was always on my bucket list for even back in the you know early days of my career when I was uh, working at the short trucks. So we, we go, uh, and we had arranged a meeting with several drivers and families, family members, and one of them just so happened to be Ty Majeski and his dad, Brad. And we're explaining to them what we're wanting to do to gauge interest, and the, uh, the feedback that we got then, and you know, it was tremendous in that uh, Ty was quick 
to point to uh, the competition standpoint and, you know, award for wins, but also, you know, award people for being their consistency and everything else. And his dad was the one that said that, you know, you need to throw a community service element into the mix too. I love so, that element. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, when I think about that particular time, this is, this is the fall of 2014 and we're getting prepared to, to, to do our inaugural season in 2015 everything lined up, you know, the sevens meeting with the drivers like Ty and Brad Majeski. Uh, we, we just had all elements of, of our program and our competition, uh, all in order when, you know, when we started in the spring of 2015, you know, had Jan uh, on my board, Tom Grady, I love the death. He was a pioneer in, in motorsports law, Kenny Schrader's guy forever, Trickle's guy. Very important uh, to us as far as his knowledge and all of his uh, career and his personal experience and everything. So I'm so blessed to have him on our board. Thumper, who, who <clears throat> worked with Jerry Kawicki at the short tracks and everything, very knowledgeable of, of short track racing, lives in Franklin, Wisconsin, um, and <clears throat> of course, Father Gruba. I mean, what, what? I think everybody needs a priest on their <laughs> board of of directors. And then, of course, when you think about bringing in two of the original Kawikiites and, mm-hmm. and Paul Andrews and Tony Gibson. It's not a special, it's just a special bunch, a special group. And we don't always stay on the same page. We don't. And we, you know, it's been, everybody's got an opinion, which makes it, it can be challenging sometimes (laughs) for me, but at the same time, you have to have a, I think you have to have diverse opinions and, but, but when it comes to the nitty gritty, I couldn't have a better, bunch to work with and and help me in every aspect and a lot of people say well you just give them seven 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 and let them do you know whatever so, but they're the expectations and, and the pressure and everything they put on themselves because those racers they're competitors <clears throat> and we can also offer them we offer them media support, you know, we offer them exposure, the, the unique relationship that, that Bob Dilder and I have had through all the years and, and him and Speed 51 coming on board from the get go as the official media partner has been, you can't put a tag on that. The fact that we're able to broadcast all of the, the banquets, uh, it's just, it's really, really special. And then as far as, uh, in addition to the money, you know, if, if one of our drivers needs some kind of professional feedback or they need, I've got attorneys, I've got bankers, I've got crew chiefs, I've got shop for, I've got all, every aspect covered and even a priest, if you need that. <laughs> 
got it all, truly. That's right. That we can, you know, that we can rely on, put those guys together, and it just doesn't get any better. Well, you talk about the banquets, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I was blessed and fortunate and fortunate enough a few years ago that you invited both me and my dad to come to the banquet over at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. And man, what a night. That is, that is just the neatest night. I really, I, I, you have to go experience it to be able to truly feel it. But man, you talk about doing this in a way that honors Alan and also talk about, you know, this is not just a, a competition based program. You know, this is, this is building well-rounded racers in developing them as they grow in their career and down to playing the Mighty Mouse theme song when the drivers come up to accept their awards. I mean, that in itself just makes me teary-eyed to think about the presence that Alan continues to have in that room and, and hearing the members of the board that were cool with guys and people that, that truly respected what Alan did for his career and know that that still has so much more to go in today's racing community. It, it is undeniably an incredible night uh, that I was so fortunate to be able to experience. And, uh, you know, I know one driver that stood out to me in the year that I was there was, was Brittany Zamora and she went on to have an impressive career in the Canaan pro series. And obviously you mentioned Ty Majeski being your first champion. I, I said it earlier, snowball derby winner most recently, congratulations to him, but there are a number of drivers that have been able to come through this program. Can you give me some more drivers that have gone on and had success and maybe give us a preview of some guys that we might want to continue to look for as they grow and develop in the NASCAR world? Well, first of all, uh, the particular night that you were talking about, it was certainly an, an honor to, to have your dad, uh, Dr. Jerry Plunch, as one of our speakers. Uh, if you recall, that was when Alan was going into uh, the Hall of Fame. So it was very appropriate you know, to have him there uh, that night. And I, you know, I think back through, through the years, uh, our, uh, just I mean, like last year, we wound up with uh, a situation where uh, we had Bill Venturini was there at Bobby Allison was there just, you know, as spectators and you put these, the people together with them uh, at, at the tables and how they share conversation, which what you hope is it strikes up, you know, relationships. That's a, a lot of this, as you well know, is about relationship building. <laughs> Derek Griffith was uh, sitting at, uh, at the, the table with, with uh with paul andrews and the next thing you know i know is that that derrick griffith has the opportunity to run the argonards series with with paul and chad bryant racing chad was there that night also and i i, I think back that it started at the banquet with them getting to know Derek 
and he gets the opportunity to start out at, at New Smyrna and what was, I guess, KNN East or whatever, and he finishes second. Guess, and who was so helpful that came over the track because he had worked so many times on that type of car in Arkansas and everything was, was Ty Majeski. So Ty is over at New Smyrna helping them get the car ready for Derek, who is driving for Chad Bryant and Paul Andrews. It, it just, you think about those, those stories and that, you know, that's not the only one. When you think about, for instance, like Alex Prunty, Alex was our second champion back uh, in 2016. <clears throat> and it was his ambition to win a, a track championship at Slinger. He had just moved up to the super late model division at Slinger and it became a challenge to him, especially driving what I would label as he would he would get the most out of every every dollar. He didn't have a brand new chassis to race. So Alex goes through our program and he not only becomes a race winner, but succeeds in his dream of winning the championship at Slinger, ventures out, and he won the national short track championship uh, twice at Rockford. So. That's another story. Even Steve April, who finished second to uh, tie back in the 2015 inaugural, but he has gone to several different tracks in the Midwest and Wisconsin and won races and has come back and has won two more track championships at Slinger. And he's told me so many times that even though Ty beat him for the Kawiki Cup that year. It just imprinted such a special memory of the competition and put him in a position where he challenged himself like he never had before. It gives me a warm spot, especially when you think about there he is and, you know, he finished second, but it's still, the program still, you know, meant that much to him. Uh, then through the years, Cody Haskins, who uh, late model stock car guy, but he, he runs a steering company and uh, just a business mind and maybe limited capacity racing these days. But Alan would be so proud of him, what he's done uh, in the in the business world. And Brett Yackey out in Colorado family uh, is one uh, – I challenged him to win super late model races at Colorado national, which he has done. And he's gone on to win the big race and uh, that they have every year in Tucson, uh, state champion, NASCAR, uh, short track Wheeland series. Uh, it's just, it's amazing. Even like I go on to think about uh, our last champion, uh, Jeremy Doss, who won the Spears Southwest Super Late Model Series, numerous race wins, always, he's been coming to the Snowball Derby for two or three times, always a contender in, uh, in everything that he does. And the thick of things, he's actually in the, the points lead 
where the spear is modified to us. It just it shows just what a uh, what a remarkable talent that he has, and that he's able to uh, jump into basically anything and win at it. And I'll be watching in between football games this weekend. I'll be watching. <laughs> see if Jeremy could win the modified. So those are just some of the, the instances uh, that our guys have gone on to succeed on the track. But so many uh, times that I get uh, responses, such as I did Justin Mondike, who was the runner-up in 2018, and Michael Ostick, who was runner-up in 2000. Uh, 17 both of those drivers were were spectators at the derby uh in pensacola had time to chat with them and they're all they always are reminiscent of what the program meant to them and you know how not only i can't make you a better driver we can't make you a better driver we can challenge you to do that but I think that it, our program will make you to be a better person, better, well-rounded uh, individual. And I think it's something that uh, that Alan would be proud of, you know, that we've, we've been able to achieve. TR, there's no doubt in my mind that one, Alan would be over the moon to see what you guys have done with his legacy and continue to do for developing young drivers. And there's also no doubt in my mind that, like you said, the opportunities that some of these drivers are getting and the way they've challenged themselves and the way they've been able to be highlighted for not only what they can do on the racetrack, but who they are as, as young people and, and what they give back to their communities. I have no doubt that it's because of the Cool Wiki Driver Development Program. And you talk about the people that are able to come and attend these banquets and, and make these connections and build these friendships. I remember the year that I was there, short track superstar Bubba Pollard was there. And, and truly, I mean, the respect that people have for this program, for this young talent, and for Alan Kowicki and his legacy is is unmatched. And um I mean, there is truly no way to to describe what it is that you guys are doing to shape young talent in the racing community. And I know that there are plenty of drivers, young drivers, that would uh, be interested in getting involved as we move forward with the 2021 season and beyond. So I'm definitely going to put it out there for for young drivers to look into this because this is a, this is an opportunity that could definitely change your life. And also, Jesse, in this day and time, it's unheard of in that uh, all that you have to do is have more or less have a racing resume. You don't have to bring any dollars. We're, we're there to try. We even pay you. You know, if you're one of our drivers, we pay you. You don't have to bring anything to the table financially. And we continue to be unique in the uh, – it, it, it's your ability, uh, your ability comes first in, in regard to, uh, to being in our program and we actually pay you instead of you having to bring something to the table. Well, and it's because of the legacy and the man that this program is built off of who, as we all know, didn't have a lot to his name when he came into to his career and um, it's being able to give that same opportunity to young drivers that as a race fan in general, 
I'm thankful for you. And I'm thankful for the way that you continue to honor Alan's legacy. You know, and as much as, as I think that I hope that Alan will be proud of what we're doing. When I think back about uh, how the program was formulated and, uh, and understanding what the, uh, Thelma's wishes were, we lost Thelma the very next fall. Uh, I'm thrilled to think that her idea that we have taken and we've made will fulfill her wishes to the point that we have and we continue to do that. And, you know, that's, that's very special in my heart. Well, and as we said, bringing this all full circle, as we said, when we begin on this call, the 2020 year has been just a year for everyone. And to see, you know, having to put the, the program on hold for the season, it's incredibly exciting to think about how strong you guys are going to come back in 2021 and beyond, because there's no doubt that that slight pause in 2020 needed to happen, but it's because of that, that 2021, the drivers that had the chance in 2020 are going to come back even stronger next year. And, and this, this program is just going to continue to build and grow. And um, I'm very excited to see what you guys continue to do. And TR, I mean, I could sit here and talk to you, no lie, I could talk to you all day long about these stories because our friendship, the friendship that you and I have been able to develop over the past couple of years, I cherish so strongly. I don't know if you know that, but your invitation to let me come to the, the driver development banquet and then your invitation, of course, to let me come and watch Alan get inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame means the world to me. And the fact that you're willing to sit down and tell these stories with me on, on a day this week and just spend the time chatting, I, can, I, I really cannot thank you enough. Well, I, you know, I appreciate that. And uh, the feeling is mutual. And I, I did, I told, I think it was the first time that I saw you uh, in action, so to speak. <laughs> I think I, re I reached out to your dad. I said, man, you've got to be proud of Jesse because she is a chip off the old block. Well, thank you. That is truly the best compliment that I could ever receive, honestly. I, my dad the career he built, and I just hope to soak up every ounce of anything I could possibly get from him, including the relationships that we continue to build. So, TR, I would love to do this again sometime. I really hope that this episode not only highlights you and the tremendous career that you've had, but also I hope that it uh, brings a couple more eyes to the tremendous career that Alan had and the legacy that he continues to leave on our sport. So, thank you for joining me today. It's been a true pleasure, Jesse. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Hey, and you know what? I don't ever say this, and you know that, but good luck this weekend to your, <laughs> to your Crimson Tide over there, okay? You know, go Tigers, but I'll be thinking about you this weekend. Thanks a lot, Roll Tide. Wow. The second half of that interview, Dad, I told you right after I did it with Tom, I said, he really opened up to me the further we got along. And I think you can very much hear that um, in the second half of that interview and everything we just heard. And I will say, too, I feel like I opened up to him. 
by telling him good luck to his Alabama Crimson Tide. I don't do that often as a Clemson yeah. graduate. Yeah. So, you know, rare, yes, thank rare you. on your part to wish anybody but your Clemson Tigers good luck. <laughs> and look what happened. It worked for him. It worked for him. Hey, what a dominating win. Oh, man, it worked for him. I'm still a sad Tiger, but no, that was that was good. That was really You're fun. Right. But, when, people, when people like Tom Roberts, when you lose someone that's that close to you, you, you sort of get guarded. You don't open up, you know, when – you know, there are people that are drivers and have been not only just drivers, but been close friends and good friends. And it's hard to talk about those things because you don't want to open up the area that causes pain and, and rekindle some of those memories and some of the hurt. But he did. And you could hear the emotion in TR's voice. Mm -hmm. I remember doing that interview, some of the specific things he said to me about losing Alan and, and the, the hard things that he still continues to have to try to swallow today um, give me chills. And even listening back to it now, it just yeah. it, it makes me emotional. But let's talk about some of the happy emotions that TR touched yeah. on in that in that second part, because the Phoenix race, Alan's very first Cup Series win, as I mentioned dad earlier, you were in victory lane for that one as well. First of all, did you know TR was spotting for Alan? Because I I had never heard that. I didn't know that this was kind of a, a brought in a ringer and he threw on a headset and was was spotting for him out in Phoenix. I didn't know that. Now, I, I didn't know TR was spotting for him. Back then, we didn't have really good – we didn't have like we do now, access to all the radios and communications. We didn't have the bells and whistles that we have today and the radios. So we didn't – I didn't know that. Uh, and TR was, was the kind of guy, as you heard before, that will help anybody anywhere, anytime, even though he's not working for him or getting, getting paid. So, but I didn't know he was spotting for him uh, up there. And uh, because, as you also heard in, in episode one, that early on, TR really wasn't working for Alan Kowicki. He was just helping his friend out. He was actually working for Miller Brewing Company and Bobby Allison and what Miller was doing. And he was just helping a guy out because he respected Alan uh, and wanted to help the kid. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was in victory lane. And our producer, you know, it's a it's a West Coast race, so we're dealing with East Coast time as far as television is concerned. And the race is over, and our producer is trying to get us. They always get me. Say, make sure you tell the driver to get to victory lane. You know, don't 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 mess. Today, back then, they didn't do these lengthy burnouts. They just drove. But sometimes they'd stop. You know what? Well, that wasn't happening. First of all, there was nobody to talk to. These kids would jump around like somebody had said said school's canceled for a week. Everyone's going to get perpetual recess. <laughs> So here's Tony Gibson and Paul Andrews and all these guys, Danny Glenn, all of them jumping around, you know, just, you know, Peter Jellin. They're just – and there's nobody <laughs> to talk to. And here's Alan, who's going to do his own thing anyway, right, my way. Mm -hmm. And he's out there doing his backwards victory lap and um, the Polish victory lap. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, he does finally get, get to victory lane. And then they start spraying champagne. You know, I've been on a lot of a lot of celebration. And I get sprayed in the face, and so I'm a little frustrated because <laughs> my contact – I'm covered in – Champagne and beer, Corky Corker and our camera guys trying to protect the camera, which is a very expensive piece of equipment. It's saturated, right. and uh, and so we're all. But you know, as we didn't know at the moment, that was a moment that would live in NASCAR history, uh, and uh, and the victory lap, which we covered, and Bob Jenkins and you know, very eloquently commented, and as you heard, you know, from in the uh, the piece of advice that Humpy Wheeler gave Alan, you know, was be spectacular. And mm -hmm. Alan, and, and, and the other thing about Alan is he was spontaneous, you know, so be spectacular, be spontaneous, and thus the Polish, the backwards victory lap uh, in his first win at Phoenix. And, and TR somehow gets from on top of the roof where he was over in the, you know, a spotter down into victory lane to be a part of that. So, yeah, it was a special moment that we'll never forget.
I loved hearing TR's reaction to all of that as well and being able to compare it to your reaction because TR, as you heard him mention, he said, um, when I first asked Alan, you're, you, you realize your first win is, is probably approaching pretty soon. You know, what do you have in mind to be spectacular like Humpy uh, advised you? And Alan said, a victory lap, but backwards. Yeah. TR said, I remember thinking at the time, you know, I don't know what that looks like, but here we go. He's going to, I don't, doesn't matter what my opinion is on it because yeah. he sounds like he has his mind pretty well made up. And then TR being able to say Alan was worried and they were all kind of worried they might get in trouble because of the broadcast. So right. it's funny to hear from your perspective, you know, you guys were a little anxious because you have broadcast windows to meet and you got to get off air but in hindsight you know being able to to look at that moment and see what that moment has done um even today seeing young drivers honor alan's memory by doing that polish victory lap how special and here's the other thing people who have done it rusty wallace did it later driving to honor honor his friend alan kawicki and others and you think about Alan, and one of the reasons for doing it was I never thought about this. Here's the engineer and Alan Quickie coming out. Here's the calculated, you know, attention to detail. If you drive backwards, the driver is facing the fans, so you can see the fans. If you drive the mm -hmm. other way, the normal, the, the fans can't see you. They can see you wave a little bit in the windshield, but they really can't see you. But if you drive backwards, then you can see the fans. They can see you, and you can wave to them. How cool is that? I mean, Polish victory lap backwards, whatever, but, you know, the, the real reason was that he could wave to the fans. They could see him, and it was something different, which is a great way to describe my Uncle Wiki. I couldn't agree more. Something different. Well, Dad, we also talked about the Kowicki Driver Development Program, and I think that was really cool to be able to – to learn more about the entire creation of the program because you and I, as I mentioned in the interview, had the opportunity to join TR a few seasons ago for the uh, final banquet, the end of the season banquet for the program. And I remember walking away from that thinking, wow, this is just way bigger than honoring kids on the racetrack. I mean, like TR mentioned, yeah. this is about building well-rounded individuals. And I, I just, I can't encourage drivers enough to go check it out or go get involved in this program because I love like TR said too you don't need to have anything but a racing resume you don't need to bring a right. dime with you much like Alan began very right. very humble right. beginnings right. just bring a will to work and a want to be the best person that you can be and that is everything they strive for in their drivers and their program. You know, as humble as Alan was, um, you know, I, I still believe, and he might not think this, this is much to do about nothing, but I think he'd be so proud of what Tom Roberts and that whole board for the Quickie no Driver Development Program has done. Uh, and I, I know he'd be embarrassed that they're honoring him so much, but it is, I think he would also realize, he, he's, these young people that are in this program, that get a chance to be in this program, are being given the right message. It's about work ethic. It's about desire. It's the same things that, that drove Alan. You know, one of Alan's quickies favorite quotes was from another guy that was a pretty famous guy in Wisconsin. He was a football coach by the name of Vince Lombardi, coached the Green Bay Packers. And Alan often used this quote. He said, obstacles are what you see when you take your eyes off your goals. So think about that. Obstacles are what you see when you take your eyes off your goals. And, and that sort of sums up Alan Quickie, you know, you know, he had a he had a goal when he was a little boy that helped him overcome 
the, tra the tragic loss of his mom. Also, when he was 13, the tragic loss of his grandmother. He had a goal that allowed him to, to take a leap of faith in 1985, selling all his race cars and all his tools. And even his truck burned up. He had to borrow a truck and he drove 800 miles south to Charlotte with nothing, nothing but a borrowed truck and a pocket full of dreams. And he had a goal with six races to go in 1992 when he's down by 270 points to somehow become NASCAR's newest champion. And he did it because he didn't take his eyes off his goals. And that's the message for the young people that are in the driver, the Kawiki Driver Development Program, or anyone for that matter, wanting to be able to know, how do I get there? How do I do it? And I think I told people a couple weeks ago, if you really want to know how to make it in sports or how to be the best you can be in life, whether it's a husband or a father or a racer or a, or a, or a coach, you know, learn the Alan Kowicki story because uh, I think, I think you'll understand that that's what he did. You know, he didn't let the obstacles take his eyes off his goals. Mm -hmm. And how blessed are these young drivers to be able to learn and be surrounded? Like you said, how proud would Alan be to watch what TR is building in his memory and look at some of the names on that board that, oh, yeah. that were with Alan throughout his career and now find such importance in coming back together to continue on Alan's legacy. I agree with you and could not agree more that Alan would be so incredibly proud of Tom and, and everybody that's building that program, much like Tom was so proud of Alan watching him build his career. Yeah, Tom, he'd always Tom, say Tom, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that nasal. You know, if you ask people, if you ask people, you know, like myself and others who knew Alan, if you said, okay, describe Alan quick in one word, you'd probably get probably the number one word to be different, which is what TR said, different, mm -hmm. distant, mm -hmm. uh, detailed, demanding, determined, focused, yeah. talented, whatever. And remember, remember the story we talked about how crew chief, how, how, how hall of fame crew chief now Ray Evernham only worked for Alan Kowicki for six weeks because mm -hmm. Ray said he was so demanding and meticulous. And even though Ray was that way too, but it's mm -hmm. like likes didn't, you know, you know, like this, but right. later on, later on when, when Ray Evernham was asked, tell me about Alan Kowicki, Ray Evernham said, and I'm paraphrasing Ray's quote, he said, Alan Kowicki was focused, he was tireless, and he was quite simply a genius. Now, when wow. Ray Evernham calls someone a genius, that's quite a compliment, because you know, everything that Ray Evernham has accomplished in his career and now as a, as a well-deserved Hall of Famer, so that tells you a lot about, about what he thought and others thought about Alan Kowicki. Yeah, he was different, but he was special in so many ways. That's one of the neatest things, too, in just being able to learn more about Alan's legacy is hearing comments like that from Hall of Famer Ray Evernham. And so and it's, it's funny, it's for a guy who showed so little emotion, as, as Alan did, what he's built, the legacy he's built, and the emotion that he still continues to bring out of people today much yeah. less what he was doing back in his career is just spectacular. And I, we talked about it a little bit earlier, being able to look up that 1992 awards banquet and see you sitting on the stage and Benny sitting on the stage with you and, and everybody in that room truly getting an opportunity to see Alan at his most raw, at his most real presenting that speech. And you can tell even when you've got Benny yeah. up in his emotions, I yeah. mean, yeah. I don't think anybody in that room well, doubts that that was a special moment. I mean, I think for Alan to be able to walk out on that stage 
and them to play that song my way by Frank Sinatra and to have the, the entire room. These are the who's who in sports, not just the drivers and owners, but the CEOs and, and corporate moguls that sponsor NASCAR, sponsor motorsports around the world. They're in that room at the Grand Ballroom with the Waldorf, and they're all standing, finally getting the recognition and respect that he so cherished. You know, an outsider having come from Wisconsin, only having been there seven years, and now he's the underdog and the underbird, and he wins the champion championship as he stands there. And I remember – you know, getting a chance to host that banquet. Terry Lingner, the producer, and sweet Jenny Nickel, who helped put all that together. But I look at Benny as they're playing that song, and Benny, uh, who's seen it all, uh, tears in his eyes. So I think about Benny, and he's not with us anymore. And I think about Jenny Nickel, who's not with us anymore. But then I really think about, here it is, December of 1992, and Alan Kowicki is on that stage. And I don't know if Alan Kowicki or anyone could could know what what – the future holds. I don't think any of us could, but, you know, think about that night and then less than four months from that night on April 1st, 1993, we tragically lost Alan on a hillside in the mountains of East Tennessee in a plane crash. So when we lost him that night, I was in the hotel just a couple of miles from the airport where the crash occurred. And, and I, and I pulled up, you know, to look at that banquet, that awards banquet, and started thinking about it. Because a few hours later, I've got to go on the air on national television as the host of ESPN there from Bristol and tell people that we've lost our champion, we've lost our friend. And so I thought about that night again. And when you pull up the song My Way by Frank Sinatra, it's tough. But, you know, uh, that song basically says to people, who people who play that song, hey, they're playing my song. This is me. This is how I did it. And so as Alan stood on that stage and that song was played, I'm thinking about the words of that song. And folks, listen, we can't play the song. We don't have $10,000 to play it. But listen to the words uh, that are in that song and see if it, it's not prophetic for what was about to happen in less than four months. The song goes like this. And now the end is near, so I face my final curtain. My friends, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew when I bit off more than I could chew. And through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall. But I did it my way. Boy, Alan Kowicki did it his way. I think about that night, Jesse, and I think about Benny who's not with us and Jenny who's not with us and all that was all that night meant. And I'm so thankful that we had that night. I'm so thankful that Tom Roberts opened up to help us do this episode and, and opens up every day to keep the life and legacy of Alan Kowicki alive uh, in the driver development program. Anyway, sorry I didn't mean to get emotional, but I think about that night. I just think about how special that was and how honored and how blessed I was to be able to be there to throw, to introduce Alan as he walked out in the song play. And the more the words, the words of that song say it all. Oh, I'm so thankful for this interview. I know I've said it so many times, but dad, both with you and with Tom, I mean, this just means the world. And I, I really hope that, Anybody that has the opportunity to listen to this, 
gets the same emotion that we get out of this and that you truly were able to not only get to know Tom Roberts and the spectacular career that he had and even better person that he is, but also be able to, like dad said, learn the Alan Kulwicki story. Because if you have any ounce of ambition and you're looking for somebody as a role model, Alan Kulwicki truly worked for everything he ever had and did it his way. And I can't stress that enough, how much this interview means to me. And I hope that people out there are able to get this from it as well. And Jesse, that's one of the reasons that you and I wanted to do rolling with the punches so we could share. I could give people some of the memories, the legacy fans, the people who were there or watched or now can remember that night. And you, we can tie it all to, to the young drivers and the future stars of NASCAR that you follow so much with, with, with uh, working for NASCAR and your show pace lap. And, you know, I, I just think together, you know, we can honor people like Alan, we can honor people that have like Benny and Jenny and others that were a part of that special night. And then we can, we can remind people this sport has had some incredible memories, but it's making more every day. And so together, hopefully we can uh, continue to, to take people to go rolling with the punches uh, with some special moments in NASCAR that from the past and what we think is going to happen in the future, which means that we're only a few days away from getting ready for 2021 in Daytona. So I got to end this on up note so I can not be so <laughs> sad, but, but um, I, that's what I love about this is that we have something pretty special. I think that we can share with people and I hope, I hope people enjoy listening. And I am just so thrilled to carry on this podcast for the rest of season two and see where it takes us from there. Because dad, like you said, whether it's, it's Alan or it's Jenny or it's Benny or, or the handful of people that we could name right now, we're going to have a really awesome opportunity to tell their story. And I hope that our listeners are ready for it. Yeah. I can't wait, sweetie. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess with that, we'll wrap it up because I need to go get some tissues. And I think that I am, I'm just very blessed. So that is the, uh, second and final part of my way the alan kulwicki story and stick around we'll have a new episode for you guys next week dad thank you for doing this with me thank you so much for opening up i love you so much i love you too sweetie